once you learn, as you get older, you learn how to have orgasms without ejaculating. It's that flex. Sex becomes this divine experience where you're like a god and your partner's a goddess and you're experiencing a oneness. You know, if you go into the Hindu religions, at the advanced level, the teachers would have sex because they'd already achieved their opening of their higher centers and now they could bring that energy down. So this is, they would, that's where Tantra came about. It was like the secret, the secret, the secret knowledge of, of the higher knowledge. But see, we're all ready for that now. We're all higher. That's what we have to get. This is Just Happen. My name is Emilio, your host as we journey inward. We are the next generation of leaders building the new consciousness emerging on our planet. This is a space to remember our place in the greatest transformation in human history. Get ready to be called to rise alongside the pioneers, experts, and wisdom keepers who are paving the way. Open mind, open heart. Here we go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the podcast. And if you've ever found yourself wondering about the secrets that make the foundation for fulfilling and successful relationships, and you want to understand the opposite sex, you have come to the right place today. Dr. John Gray is the author of the most well-known and trusted relationship book of all time, Men Are From Mars, women are from venus and usa today listed his book as one of the top 10 most influential books of the last quarter century in hardcover it was the number one best-selling book of the 1990s just ask your parents and they will know dr gray has written over 20 books his most recent one is beyond mars and venus relationship skills for our complex modern world His Mars Venus book series has forever changed the way men and women view their relationships and his wisdom is becoming more relevant than ever in the new consciousness that's emerging on the planet. In this conversation, we dive in deep with John Gray and explore everything from the harms of porn addiction and over-ejaculation, how to satisfy your partner, accessing both our male and female sides, the new masculinity, how to process emotions and delay gratification, and so much more. After spending almost a decade in his 20s as a celibate monk, John Gray explores in this episode a range of mystic and ancestral secret techniques from India that can help you achieve and experience higher intimacy and oneness. And before moving on, make sure to hit the subscribe or follow this podcast to keep receiving mind and heart expanding conversations like this one. If you enjoy any part of this conversation, share this episode to make sure it gets shown to more wisdom seekers like you. All right, everyone, enjoy this incredible masterclass with one of the greatest and most renowned relationship teachers of our time. Peace. John Gray, welcome to round two. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Thank you. We're here joined by Ryan. How are you doing, Ryan? 
Awesome. And it's a pleasure to connect virtually for the first time, John. So uh, thank you for your time. Well, it's a pleasure, Ryan. And I'm happy that you read one of my books. So we know what we're talking about here. I appreciate that. Not all interviewers have read the book, so they have such beginner's questions. So I really appreciate our conversation. Let's do it. Let's do it. And we already had a two-hour conversation with you, John, which went very deep. And this serves as really, I wanted just to let you know, after we published that uh, conversation, the response from our generation was ecstatic. Like people wanted more information. I would guess, and I think it's, and I've had some people give me the feedback that it's because there's very taboo subjects in our culture that we've kind of suppressed. And hearing someone speak about it with such intelligence, such researched, like such a well-spoken mind is super liberating just to hear that information. Uh, and one of the things that I wanted to start off with is we were talking previously before recording about really the aspect of not giving into our desires. And you're one of the world's greatest relationship experts of all time. And one of the things that is a desire is the sexual aspect. And you really got into this whole space first being a monk um, for nine years, a celibate monk. I wanted to just start off maybe if you could share a little bit about how that experience helped you harness your powers and now become one of the best-selling authors of all time and know all these things about the human body and relationships. I, I don't want to say that my path is the path for everybody, but I know what was good in my path, which was uh, particularly in my 20s. Uh, that's a time of learning who you are. Yeah. And people who get in serious relationships in their 20s, what can happen is you start finding that my happiness comes through this relationship. Instead of this relationship can add to my happiness, but it's really about finding that place inside yourself where you're not dependent on the outer world in order to feel good. So for me, a big part of this, and I think everybody in their 20s would benefit from some form of uh, of meditation is really, you know, I can't say everybody is for everybody, but for me, you know, I can be, when I got married in my thirties, you know, my wife would upset me. I said, okay, give me some time. And I would just go meditate. I'd forget. See, meditation is you forget all your problems. So I could forget my problems and just be in, in this nice meditative state. And I felt peaceful. I felt relaxed. And then the brain works better. You see, when you're in a stress state, your brain goes into a bias towards negativity. All you see is can't do, can't do, can't do, can't do, can't do. And, and that's what the brain does. Because think about it, the lower brain is about survival. And if something uh, is upsetting you, the brain wants to remember that and, uh, and look for it, look for it. So bad things happen, you keep looking for it. If somebody cheated you, you now think, oh, are they cheating me? Are they not cheating me? And some of that's good but you got to balance it with, could they be cheating me or could they be the opportunity for me? Could this be like a really good thing? We want to be able to balance uh, the positive and the negative. Now, the recent brain research is amazing stuff. I saw that you've had some speakers here. Uh, John, I forget Asaroff. his name, John Asaroff. John Asaroff, he talks about the brain. I got books on the brain too, but I love listening to him talk too. And he talks about your prefrontal cortex. You've got the left side and the right side. The left side is always looking at what's not working, where are the problems, where's the danger, and the right side, I'm sorry, the left side is looking at all the positive opportunities, and the right side of the prefrontal cortex uh, is looking at what the problems are. 
And whenever you articulate, when you use speech in order to express your, your complaints, what's not working for you, what you don't like, and you complain to somebody thinking that using negativity to get the result I want, you're actually growing pathways so that there's a preference in your brain to look at things from the negative point of view rather than the right point of view. And then you create a loop which continues to grow. The more you have negative thoughts, the more that loop grows. And so you get older, you know, some people, they're just always looking at what's negative, negative, instead of being optimistic and positive, but not, not ungrounded. You know, you can look at, okay, this is a problem. This is a problem, but Hey, I got solutions. Hey, I got support. Hey, there's so many good things, but our brain goes into a bias of looking at that negativity. When we go into a stress reaction, a stress reaction is not so much what happens to us. It's how we react to what's happening to us. So for some people, traffic jam is a real bummer. For me, I just relax, no big deal. Or if I'm in a hurry, it's a bigger deal. But the actual traffic jam is not the problem. It's my, my reaction to it. So what we want to do is start learning when we're in a negative reaction, how not to use that negative reaction by complaining. See, that's our problem is we complain about things. And we use, when we use language to complain to someone to get them to change, then that wiring becomes our habit. And when now we want life to be better, we just look at what's negative. It doesn't make any sense, but it's how we're wired up is that when we feel stressed. Now for guys, a lot of guys listening, is that stress hormone is always being produced when your testosterone levels are going down and your estrogen levels are going up. And this is like simple flumming. And it's like when you're confident that I can solve this problem, your testosterone goes up. So you never, you know, if you watch these great Chinese movies, Kung Fu movies and whatever, you see the masters never get upset. They're cool, calm and collected. And they're also selfless. They basically able to delay gratification. They're not selfish. They're thinking what's the best thing to produce the best result. It's not that you can't want a result. It's that you're, you're not reactive. You don't get upset about it and tell you when you're not getting what you want. And we all want more. And some people, because they... It makes them so unhappy not to get more. They stop wanting more. And then you lose your ambition. You lose your drive. Your testosterone levels go down. The flip side of it is people still have some ambition when they're not getting what they want soon enough. Then what happens? They get all upset. And when you get upset and you're a man, that means your estrogen levels are going up and your testosterone is going down. I mean, just think about it. Think about all the things you want. Imagine the perfect life and, and you're going... If I can't have that, you're going to be really unhappy. But if you actually believe and you truly believe that I could have that, the, not, the confidence, I can do that and I can have that, doesn't matter when it comes. It just means that you believe in yourself. And if you find if when you're not stressed and you have a desire, that desire is usually if it's from an open hearted place. It, it's a seed. And within that seed is the knowledge of how to get there. And it will come. Life will take you on a journey that will lead you to where you want to go. But it's where you want to go. It's your journey. And we all have our own unique journey. But you asked me about mine being a celibate monk, uh, which is not that common. And a real yeah. celibate <laughs> monk, you know, which is I, I was with all these monks and they're all masturbating. And some of them were actually having <laughs> sex. They didn't, they're always jealous of me because I was having all these Yogananda like experiences on boundedness and traveling the universe and, and you know, out of the body travel and ecstatic meditations. You know, this was uh, 
not, it's not for everybody. I'm like an extremist. Now I'm kind of extremely balanced. And, 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 but it was the foundation of not depending on the outer world to change for me to be happy. Now, I do depend on the outer world a lot to change, to become happier. And whenever I'm unhappy, it's because I'm demanding it to change before I'm happy and before I open my heart. And that's backwards. It was like, that's the way primitive beings are, is to be happy, you have to change. You have to do something for me. So that's the foundation of, for masculinity, testosterone gets produced. And as a man, you need 10 times more than a woman. A woman needs 10 times more estrogen. That's our big difference. Estrogen's produced when I'm depending on you to make me happy. Hmm. Testosterone's produced when I'm depending on me to do something to achieve a goal that will make somebody else happy as well as me. So that's, that's our masculine journey. I mean, don't even think about having a super serious relationship until you, know, you, can, you found your way, you know yourself, that you can find your way back to happiness no matter what happens. And I'm not saying I had it all figured out, okay, in my 20s, but I had a place to go. I had my place to go when things you know, upset me a lot. And things did upset me a lot. And they just don't now. This is 50 years later. <laughs> you know, a lot of mastery along the way. But I think we're moving in the direction of, of in our society is whenever you're dependent on something outside yourself to feel good, you're on your female side. Now, that's okay. And the younger generation, which is you, you have more access to your female side than most people in my generation. See, you are more conscious, you're more self-aware. So if you have more consciousness, more self-awareness, you're aware that as a soul, whether you call it a soul or not, you are both masculine and feminine. The problem is if you're a man, it's easier to go to your female side. It's easier to depend on someone else to make you feel good nowadays. than on yourself. Say it again. Is that nowadays or in general? No, man, that's now. Saying. You see, your challenge is you have, act. okay, let me go back in time a little bit. All of your geniuses, okay, the great people in this world, were always a little confused about male and female sides of them. They, if they were usually very disciplined, but they also had crazy sex lives, all kinds of stuff in their sex life. That's the emotional part of you. The emotional part of you is, is, is your estrogen and your detached, your determination, your clarity, your selflessness, your just discipline. That's your masculine side. Now, if you look at a rock star, for example, they grow their hair out, right? They're on their female side, but also they're disciplined. You know, you don't just learn how to play music without discipline. It's like another form of meditation. The meditation I did and still do is you sit down and you just, you have a mantra. You know, in Asia, one mantra is, Om Mani Padma Avaham, Om Mani Padma Avaham, Om Mani. So you're peaceful and you're growing a gro groove in your brain of peace and effortlessness. So you can just, Om Mani Padma Avaham, that's a, a mantra, you know, Om Namah Shivaya, that's another, that's a Hindu one. You know, I know them all, all these different mantras, you know, I got really long ones, whatever. But the thing is, is you sit down and you repeat a mantra over and over and over. I didn't realize it, but as a teenager, I was kind of like a meditator. I had a paper route and my paper, I had 300 papers to roll and throw every day. So I'm rolling those papers, rolling those papers, rolling those papers, rolling those papers, repetition, repetition, repetition. You create a groove in your brain. And if it has good feelings with it, you now have a groove of, I can do this. I will do this. I'll make money from this. I feel good about this. So you grow that part of you. 
And that's some kind of skill that you have that makes you feel good to achieve a goal. Discipline, study, education, service. So think about anything you're good at makes testosterone. So if ever you're upset, don't dwell too long in what you're upset about, but do something, ignore it. Just say, forget it temporarily. I'm going to do something that makes me feel good, that's productive, not just depending on someone else to make me feel good. So, you know, a lot of guys, they work really hard. They come home, have a beer. Well, that's okay. They're balancing out. You see, when they have their beer, they're making estrogen or now they're smoking some grass. So you smoke some at grass. That's going to produce some estrogen. You are, they sit and they're not, they don't have a girlfriend. So they're masturbating. They go on porn to masturbate. Well, porn and masturbation produces more estrogen than a six pack. Okay. It's going to be way on your estrogen side and it becomes addictive. So for me, because I had a sort of a spiritual tradition I was following, which was that you to be celibate allows you to elevate your consciousness. And it does. I mean, it, it's a, it's very, very powerful if you make a decision and you follow through. Because see, the instinct to masturbate or have sex is the lower part of the brain. We know it's located back in the primitive reptilian part of the brain, which is one of the reasons girls can't understand why guys can just have sex with any girl that wants them. Because <laughs> for girls, sex is linked to the emotional love part of the brain. For guys, it's not. You can have sex with anybody if they want to have sex with you. So, but what you're doing is you're, you're disconnecting from the higher intelligence inside of you and just allowing yourself to have a sexual indulgence, which nothing wrong with enjoying sex. I love sex, but I do it in coordination with my choice and my heart. Because if you just have sex without love, what happens is energy just gets released out of you. If you're having sex with love, at least the energy is coming up into your heart space. And if you're choosing who you have sex with, then it's coming into your mind. So you get kind of a spiritual integration of mind and emotions and, and physical. So ultimately sex is this beautiful, beautiful thing, but it is for a man, your estrogen levels will go really, really high and it will push your testosterone down if you do it too much. And if you do it alone, you're gonna get even higher estrogen levels. You see, if you're having sex with a girl and she's experiencing greater and greater fulfillment, her estrogens are going up your estrogen's going up, but because you're causing her estrogen to go up, your testosterone's going up. So you get to experience this really big ecstasy of my masculine side is strong, my feminine side is strong at the same time. But it pays, it does have a toll. And that it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's just that after you ejaculate, ejaculation is a surge of estrogen and it pushes your testosterone down to baseline. So now if you don't have a girlfriend, it's important that you masturbate once a week and you don't use porn for it, but you do it because your body says, I got to get this release. Unless, mm -hmm. unless you go my route, which was pure celibacy, that urge would come and I'd go into a cold bath, okay? And I would meditate <laughs> for hours. The, the uh, original it, it Wim Hof. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I was, I lived in Switzerland and those hotels in the wintertime, that bathtub was really cold. <laughs> wow. But, uh, you know, you have to shift your, you have to take that energy and not suppress it, but you, you, the energy's there and you have to transmute it. So a book I'd recommend to everybody in their 20s or any time in life is Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich is an amazing book. And one of the things that was always a mystery when I, when I read that book is they always talk about these very successful men hmm. that they had sex sublimation. And what sex sublimation means 
is that they didn't have frivolous sex and they didn't masturbate. And now when you actually look at the science of masturbation, now here's something, you know, this is just science. This is not my value judgment, nothing. Okay. But we do have science that when you, if you masturbate on Saturday, say, or you have sex on Saturday night and ejaculate, the key is if you ejaculate, then the next day your testosterone will go down to baseline. Baseline is what it normally is. And in our world today, baseline is just continuing to go lower and lower and lower. Mm. Uh, you know, mine are, if you look at baseline of a young person, mine's 50% higher. Uh, it's as for a guy. Now, it's just been going down and down. And that's not just our fault, by the way. It's plastics. It's plastic bottled water uh, will lower your, your testosterone. Uh, GMOs will lower your testosterone. Um, uh, meat, cheap meat, you know, junk food meat that tastes so good. They make it taste so good. It's got hormones in it. Mm. So you're feeding your body hormones, estrogen. And these are called uh, xenoestrogens, external estrogens. Now, a xenoestrogen on a man's body lowers testosterone. On a girl's body, it raises testosterone. So the girls are exposed to it and they think they're men and the guys are exposed to it. It's not they think they're women, some do, but they don't think they're women, but they have a greater need to depend on others for their happiness yeah. uh, and a greater need for addiction, the greater need for porn. And porn has got a double-edged sword to it. It's not only a big estrogen producer, it also causes an ejaculation, which is a big estrogen production. Japanese did research on young men in their 20s, and if they had sex or masturbate on Saturday, and they abstained from ejaculation for six days, on the seventh day, they went up, their testosterone goes up 50%. And then afterwards it goes back down to baseline. But if you wow. do that, it's been my experience that your testosterone over time will grow as in the case of me, as in the case of most men who ejaculate more than once a week, it goes down. So they'll, they'll predict to you that by the time you're 35, your testosterone levels will start going down, down. And here's a funny thing, just to understand testosterone and estrogen. They did tests on single guys. Okay, single guys compared to not single guys have higher testosterone. As soon as you make a commitment in a relationship, you get a drop in testosterone on average. <laughs> as soon as you're monogamous, you make a commitment, you have a girlfriend, but now you're monogamous, it goes down again. You get married, it goes down again. You have children, it goes down again. Now, why is that? Because the more you feel love, you love these people. You know, that's what commitment allows you to grow in love. And you get married. You love them so much. You love your kids so much. Love is estrogen. So I'm not saying men shouldn't have estrogen. It's just they have to have a, enough testosterone to balance it. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you're in a relationship with a woman today, you can't figure out how to make them happy. <laughs> so mm -hmm. What do you do? So you get in the relationship. It, it, suddenly she's complaining boom, your testosterone goes down. You know, you could be the king of the world. Your testosterone's up. You know, you watch, you know, these billionaires, you know, you would think their wives would be happy, right? <laughs> these poor guys, they get divorced. Their wives aren't happy because they don't have the skills to do it. Right. Now, the big issue that you want to learn in your 20s, education and learning about myself. So when I'm upset about things, let me analyze that. Let me explore that. And the best way to explore what's going on inside yourself is to first build your testosterone up. Do something, just whatever makes you feel good that you're causing to happen. Or have a little beer or something. It's okay. Moderation, that helps to relax you. But then do something you're good at 
that your testosterone levels will come up. That's why we have sports. We actually not watching sports, but doing sports, even playing video games. If it's not a long time, it's going to help bump up your testosterone. If you're good at it, so you want to do something you're good at. Now for me, it's driving my car, you know, basically drive your car, solve some problems. And I remember it was like 50 years ago when I was learning about men and women, how to cope with stress differently. And for men, it's solving problems. And, and, I didn't really fully understand it then, but I remember talking to one of my brothers who's a PhD in math and I was telling him how he needed to talk about his feelings because I didn't understand all this stuff then. And, <laughs> you know, and, and he said, uh, well, I don't need to do that, John. I said, well, what do you do? He says, oh, if I can't sleep at night, I just do math puzzles. It puts me right to sleep because <laughs> he's good at math. You see, if you do things you're good at, and that's how I, if I have a stressful day or whatever, which is rare, but if I do and I can't sleep, what I do is I meditate. I just meditate, puts me right out. You know, it's just because I'm good at it. You see, you just have to, and who's not good at repeating a sound over and over and over? You can get really good at it fast. Uh, what <laughs> so sound I said a lot repeat? of stuff there. Go ahead. What sound do you repeat when you, when you meditate? Just a quick uh, Well, I have, I, I have a, uh, a mantra that was given to me when I learned transcendental meditation. Now, eventually I became a teacher of transcendental meditation and I taught the teacher training programs for transcendental meditation. But even still, we, we give a mantra to someone, we say, it's best not to say it out loud. Because when you say it out loud, everything you do in present time is associated with now. And I think this little thought, of it, which I was given in the beginning, it brings me right back to when I was 17 years old, and I was learning it for the first time. So you sort of keep it inside. Now that's one of that's one of my mantras. I wouldn't speak out loud, even yeah. though it's pretty much everybody does transcendental meditation gets the same mantra. He <laughs> <laughs> just doesn't speak it out loud. Yeah. And th there's a few different ones we give out, whatever. But you know, there's other mantras, which is Om Mani Padma Om, and I have a little advancement to Om Mani Padma Avaham, Avaham. That means pull it in. Om Mani Padma is. Om is like this positive vibration of oneness with the world. Mani Padma is Mani is jewel. Padma uh, Mani Padma is of the flower, the jewel, the essence of, of beauty, the essence of life. So Om Mani Padma, come into my body. Mm -hmm. And this is the old, the old-fashioned mantras just went to Om Mani Padma Hum, but then the more advanced stage on that one is Om Mani Padma Avaham. Avaham is your intention to pull the energy in. Did we do this last time, Amelia? Yeah, yeah, we we did it actually this morning with Ryan because yeah. during that during that podcast we had the clip of the meditation and we added some music to it and we were just there sitting in front of the ocean. It's insane. Yeah, you just take it in. And what's interesting is Om Mani Padma Om. Years I used to do energy healing and all this stuff. I don't have time for it now, but. You get, also, you can get flowers, okay? Flowers is the, the essence of the flower is actually the chi energy. And if you cut the flowers and water, then they actually need your energy and then they'll give you pure chi energy. So there's an exchange. So anything negative and you just send into the flowers and they say, just give me the energy and they convert it and then pull the energy back in. So it's a, just a two-step process. It's just feel the energy. Anybody can feel it repeating any phrase. In my book, How to Get What You Want, Want What You Have, I think you'll love that one. I really, I, I, what is that? We'll put it in the show notes so people can. Yeah, it's, it's, I teach in there the exercise. 
And you start out by learning how to feel the energy. And all it takes is put your hands up like this. You did that, right? With the ocean, you put your hands yeah. up like this. Yeah. You just feel your fingertips because the way we're wired up and you'll see it in all the holy people that put their hands up. And they, well, there's a reason for that. And if you look at actually the scientific reason for it, as soon as you put your hands in the air like this, then your blood will start to drop down. You see, it's suddenly circulation stops to the tips of your fingers mm -hmm. and your body says, send energy to where that injury is taking place. So energy flows, concentrates in your fingertips very quickly. And normally, how do we touch anybody? How do we feel anything? Through our fingertips. So we're wired up to feel the energy, just putting your hands in the air and then do a little mantra with it. The mantra in my book, How to Get What You Want, is for those who have a higher spiritual belief, which is, dear God, I open my heart to you. Come, avaham. See, it's just om namah shivaya, avaham. Pull the energy in, come. Then what we do is take it to another level is om namah shivaya, avaham. It could be dear God. It could be dear Jesus. My heart is open to you. Come. See, that's the whole thing. Invitation is very important. And then what you do is you make an offering. You use the ocean, use the ocean. You see, you need a frequency for it to come. Flowers have a frequency. Water has a frequency. Fire has a frequency. Oh, if you're feeling stressed, build a fire. Why do people sit around camp campfires? You just feel so peaceful. Yeah. Fire takes away anger. It just absorbs. It just, t t just talk, share your feelings into the fire and you'll feel better. But when you can consciously feel the energy, which now you, you, it will increase. So now you're pulling the energy in, calling it forth, sending out whatever's blocking it, and then receiving it back again. So using these flowers, send your light and love or send your angels to bless me, whatever it might be, and then say thank you. And that's all outlined in that book is that every single religious tradition is about giving up something to receive. And that's particularly good. That part of it is particularly good for masculinity. You know, I was listening to Jordan Peterson the other day, who I like very much. Probably listen to him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good. I could understand guy. why you would like him because you're both straight shooters. Yeah, which I really yeah, appreciate. I, yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate it too. He's he's just right there. He struggles a little bit more in life than me, <laughs> but it's he, like he squeezes it out. Squeezes. It. He's a responsible man. I highly respect him. And I forgot the point I was going to make that he was making, but it's it's about oh whole show he did on sacrifice. He says, now look into the past. If you look at every religion in the past, you always have to give up something to get a blessing. Yeah. And that's what masculinity is about. Masculinity is delayed gratification. Mm. Femininity, our female side wants it now. Give it to me. Oh, it so, feels so good. It tastes so good. As opposed to delayed gratification, I have to give up my immediate gratification for some great goal. And when you do that, it empowers, your, it empowers you enormously, but also your testosterone goes up. This is the big thing. The indulgence and things that make you feel good. Yeah, feels good. It's okay to do as long as you've got some places in your life where you have discipline. And discipline can be even meditating 20 minutes a day. And the key to it, for somebody who started out, I mean, I, I know the whole journey, right? In the beginning, for many people, it's so boring. It's, it just like takes willpower. That's masculinity. Yeah. You, you made a commitment. I'm going to sit here and repeat this sound over and over and over for 20 minutes or 15 minutes. And just, you're going to do it. You're going to do it no matter what. And you do it for a few years and suddenly click. I remember the day it happened for me, the first level of enlightenment for me, which I would call a kind of enlightenment. There's many levels of it. 
was uh, I felt I, my mind has found its resting place. Wow. So great. No matter what a turbulent thing there is, by creating that groove in your brain over and over, you can just go right there. And now that's all happening. And you've got a flow going and a flow. And so that's for guys. Once you get to the flow stage of meditation, then it's effortless. And then you're no longer like concentrating. You're flowing with it. And you're continuing the repeat, but it's more fluid and flowing and so that's forth. That's a bit more feminine, right? The flow. That's right. You're bringing in the feminine side of the whole thing. Wow. And so you're balancing. You got your discipline. You're going to repeat your mantra over and over and over. At the same time, you're going to flow in it. It just feels so good. It feels so good after a while. It becomes blissful. Now, something that most people don't know is that when you're in an advanced stage, you see, you are more advanced than you know. That's why you need these more advanced techniques. Uh, these were secret techniques taught to me in India many, many years ago by masters who don't teach normal people these techniques because they can't do them. You, know, you can't <laughs> teach somebody calculus if they don't even know addition, right? Yeah. So your ability to be able to feel the energy, because you have greater access to your female side. You're born that way. You're in a world that gives you access to the female side. So you can feel that energy. So you can go over there and feel it but you have to use it in a disciplined way. Okay. You can't just go feel how good ice cream is, you know, how good smoking marijuana is a little bit, you know, moderation in all things, but the more you can postpone gratification till you, till you get some lofty goal, the more powerful you will be. And you hear these stories of, of great people. Often they either have crazy sex lives. Okay. They do. I mean, I got, you check these books out online secret lives of famous authors, secret sex lives of famous authors, sex lives of uh, famous artists, uh, sex lives of famous politicians. They're all like crazy stuff going on. Okay. Because see, <laughs> they have access to their male and female side. Yeah. And so they have all this sexual indulgence because that's going over to your female side, but they have uh, a discipline in their life. They have some discipline that they, you know, an artist, whatever, to be a musician, to be a writer. I mean, I've written all these books, talk about discipline. How do you think, you think these books are easy? It's <laughs> effing hard, you know? You sit there and you go, it's not good enough. You gotta fix this. You gotta turn this around. You gotta adjust it, whatever. You know, there's difficult parts. And also, you know, when I would write books, uh, maybe I'll write some more, I've got so many, so, but I'm doing online courses now, but the, the, yeah. The discipline of that means I've got this great sex life. I got my wife, I got my kids. And for a month, I just bury myself in the cave and I do this. I've got no sexual energy at all. I have no sex. It's all going into my work. Mm -hmm. See, that's what you can discipline yourself is that you take this energy and put it forth to your work. Then you, you just get into this altered state where you're in flow, you're disciplined, but you get in this sort of ecstatic creative space. And that's when you're balanced in your masculine and feminine sides. But the first thing for a young man in your 20s to say is their primary lesson is to learn how to be on your male side. And your primary obstacle to that in today's world is porn masturbation. Masturbation without porn once a week may even be better than not doing it unless you're sublimating, which is the whole thing about think and grow rich. These guys did not throw their sexual energy around. They were monogamous. They weren't your like crazy rich people. They were really responsible guys. You know, there's, there's, you know, my generation, there was a, a phrase called playboys. Generally speaking, if your parents had a lot of money and you didn't have to earn it, you became a playboy. 
And literally, that's what it means is that you just want to play. There's nothing serious in your life. You can't, you can't stay turned on to one woman for your lifetime. So you'd have lots of women. Uh, you'd be insensitive to how they felt. You would lie. You would drink too much, do too much drugs. And today, all the playboys end up in rehab, okay, which is that's, that's another big thing that happens with celebrities. You see, they all, they're not even a celebrity until they've been to rehab. If they realize if somebody goes in the rehab, their life was so horrible. And you think, but all this great stuff is happening to them. But the truth is celebrities make way more money than they're worth. <laughs> you know, you spend a few months doing a movie and you get paid five, $10 million, you know? So it's like easy money, easy money. So you don't feel like you really earned it. Yeah. When you have to struggle and overcome obstacles to get what you want, then you, you have all this good testosterone. If life gets too easy, then you're on your female side. Now for me, it's easy, you know, after, you know, I'm so grateful to the guy who wrote all those books. I don't have to go through that anymore. <laughs> My life has become so easy. I make plenty of money. I've got, you know, a partner, I got happiness, a house, all that stuff is done. I could be like one of these fat cats who just gets fat and doesn't have to work. See that I have to do this is such a good thing because that makes you get up in the morning. I don't have to do this, but I know if I'm going to be like, healthy and vibrant and have great libido and a great sex life and happiness in my life and productive in the world. I've got to have some challenges on myself. So one of the things I do is like self-imposed challenges, which is to go, I just finished this. Well, I haven't fully finished, but this 12 days of just liquid and no sex during that time. Hmm. And then yesterday I had sex four times, five times that day. <laughs> <laughs> So I had to make up for lost time. But again, I can only do that and would recommend that for somebody who knows how to have sex without ejaculating. You know, you've got to train yourself at this age not to get addicted to ejaculation. And once a week will free you from that if you're not depending on porn. Now, we know the brain science of porn. Porn not only causes you to ejaculate, so already you're going to have this surge of estrogen that will lower your testosterone, which is why you, you don't feel so good afterwards. You know, it's kind of yucky feeling. That's because you just lost your testosterone. <laughs> so, but it feels good in the beginning because high estrogen feels really, really good. But when it goes too high, testosterone goes down, you kind of, Ugh. and then if it's porn, porn by itself produces more dopamine. See, dopamine is the addictive brain chemical. It's also a feel good chemical. So if I'm with a woman, actually I have a girlfriend having sex with her, my dopamine will go up, but also I'm, I'm having to relate with her that will produce serotonin, keeps my dopamine for going too high. Also, if I'm touching a real body that will produce oxytocin, that will keep my uh, dopamine from going too high. Uh, if I care about her, then my estrogen levels go up, that pushes my testosterone down a bit, that keeps my dopamine levels from going too high. So it's literally like you're, you know, porn is like taking cocaine, whereas making love is like taking coffee. You know, both stimulate dopamine, but uh, cocaine is way more addictive because once you get that high dopamine stimulation, the brain becomes desensitized to normal dopamine stimulation. So, you know, just seeing a little breast, a little legs used to like cause a big rise in guys. Uh, <laughs> but once you've done porn, that's nothing, you know, I want to see the extremes, you know, so it, it's uh, <laughs> anti-intimacy, anti-ability to sustain uh, real relationship. And not that you have to be perfect at relationship, but you want to be able to stay turned on to your girlfriend. Yeah. And a lot of guys lose it after, you know, a few weeks, a few months, and 
they kind of go, well, it's gone, so we should move on, as opposed to every morning you should have an erection. You know, 70 years old, I get an erection every morning. And, and of course, for me, it's, it's because I can have sex with, without ejaculating, and that's a whole science. You have to first learn how to not be addicted to masturbation, so once a week, and then you have to learn how to extend it slowly so you could just gently, without de depending upon external stimulation. See, we, an external stimulation is first, the worst would be porn. The next would be having to look at pictures. The next would be fabricating fantasies in your brain. So what are you doing there? Okay, you're, you're fabricating these fantasies in your brain to turn you on when your body's not turned on. See, your body wants to ejaculate. I mean, you've got this part of the brain, it wants to do the job. <laughs> it's designed to do it. But if you, if you feel like you get in the way of that, now your brain is controlling that part of you. You want to be in tune with the nature of your body. And there is a natural rhythm, generally speaking, if you don't do porn, which now causes you to have an addiction to, to arousal. Okay, so see, addiction means I, as soon as I take cocaine, then the next day I feel really low. And I'll stay low for 30 days. That's called withdrawal symptoms until my brain can recover from that high stimulation. But because people don't want to wait out feeling, I was so excited here. Now I'm so bored and deep in despair. See, that's that called withdrawal symptoms from an addiction. So I go way high. I go way low. You have to stay way low for a while. And then your brain will adjust and then life will be happy again. But people don't know how to do that. And so they go, oh, I'm so bored. I need to go back to my cocaine. I need to go back to my stimulant. I need to go outside myself to feel good about myself. And you'll see that most of these uh, creative guys throughout history, the great writers, besides having crazy sex lives, they also were taking, you know, they're alcoholics, they're drug addicts, and they commit suicide. It's so common because they're, 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 they're born with this higher consciousness that you already have, which means I can access my male and female sides. So they're on this turbulent, indulgent, going to their female side, then coming back to what they're good at and then depriving themselves and then going back to what, they're, what feels good. They're more extreme that way. Most men traditionally could not go over to their female side so easily. Now you can, but it's a trap if you go, if you don't know how to come back to your male side. John, I just, I want to ask one question. And first, I want to say thank you for everything that you're sharing. I know it's been a long day for you and for you to uh, share so much. Uh, I know we both appreciate. I also want to thank you for sharing that low testosterone creates addiction because I think that that's something that a lot of people just don't have awareness around. And there's obviously an, an issue with addiction in our society. Uh, the question I have though, is I uh, grew up with a single mother and, um, so I'm very much on my feminine side. I know Emilio is in his feminine side, but we're also entrepreneurs. And in reading your book, I became aware of how important it is to move deeper and deeper into my masculine. And I do that and I get amazing fulfillment. Can you change your distinct polarities over time? Like, could I become uh, more, let's say, masculine energy oh, than feminine energy based on my actions? That's my whole point. Based upon your choices you make in life, you will generate male hormones or female hormones. Can you become more masculine than you are? Who, who are you? Your soul is predominantly masculine with a female side. So what you're doing is by doing those things, being an entrepreneur, and by essence of what it means to be an entrepreneur is to be independent. 
See, this is like the essence of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Historically, you see, you, people today don't realize how good the world is. Okay, it's massively great. You know, when you see Black Lives Matter, for example, they're all talking about how bad white people are. Do you know how many millions of or hundreds of thousands of white people got killed and gave their life up to get rid of slavery, which was a scourge on the planet at that time? You know, when I was a little boy, my dad, this is Texas, okay, still done in Texas. I don't know where else it's done. It's done around the world. When we misbehaved, dad said, okay, go to my room, pull down your pants, pull out the belt and whipped you. They even did this in my school that I went to. This was insane. Okay, they did it once to me and I said, I'm out of here. I actually left. <laughs> I think I Going to India. This way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm done with this. They told me, you know, you're this close to be kicked out. I said, you can't kick me out. I'm leaving. <laughs> I went to another school and then I went back to that school. I, I would not tolerate this abuse. I couldn't believe it. Uh, but this was accepted then. But it's not like I, I don't love my father now. That's what people did then. That was the low level of consciousness that people had. It was the way to manage people, kind of like animals to a certain extent. But your generation is different. You're highly sensitive. Your access, both your female and male side, which is higher level of consciousness. So what you asked is, can I, I bonded more with my mother. Can I come back to my male side? Well, interesting, you know, why you like my work is <laughs> I bonded more with my mother, although my father was there, but my, and he was a good father. But my brothers were so jealous of me. It's a funny story because by the time I'm number five boy in a family of, of seven children, six boys, I'm number five boy. And the four older brothers, my parents realized punishing our kids and whipping them didn't really work. <laughs> so with they me, they, the said, let's, they, they, they realized this is not working. The problems keep happening. Let's try and experiment with Johnny. So let's not whip him. So even though I said my father would do that, actually with me, I'd go up to his room and he'd say, now I want you to make noises and I'm going to whip the, the chair. <laughs> he'd whip the chair. And, but, and that was all They can't listen to this podcast. They can't know that. But no, they already know. They figured it out. They got it. And they, they made sure I got punished. Okay. So, so basically I didn't necessarily have such a happy childhood because my, my brothers were so much against me. Uh, so jealous. And th- this is anyway, so I bonded a lot with my mother. My dad traveled a lot. He was there, but I definitely was closer to my mother. And so meditation, I think, is why my soul said you need to go extremely to your meditative side to become completely a Buddha. A Buddha has nothing. To, nothing upsets him. He's in meditation. He can quiet himself. He doesn't indulge in emotions. He doesn't indulge in masturbation. He does. He's celibate. And that gave me a foundation so now I could come forth my, my masculine energy and my female energy to get into flow state. You know, we all want that creative flow state to be there. And meditation for me, because I'd gone so far to my female side, it really helped me. Uh, it could be, it could have been any real good discipline that didn't require pleasing somebody. See, relationships at that stage wouldn't have been good for me because I'd have to be always pleasing somebody instead of doing my discipline. And because, and, see, when you're pleasing someone, ironically, it seems like it's selfless, but actually it's not. It's called people pleasing. I'm going to try to change you so I'll get you to like me. See, that's people pleasing. So I'm dependent on you and what you think of me for me to feel good. 
rather than, I don't depend on anybody as a monk. I'm doing my own thing. <laughs> and I, was, I was a bit of an outlaw as well because I broke all the rules. Everybody's always like, you should follow all the rules. And I said, no, I'll just do my own thing. Because you can only, as a monk, you're supposed to do uh, activities and then you only get to meditate a certain amount of time. And I would just 10 hours, 15 hours, meditate. Everybody go, where's John? <laughs> where's Johnny? <laughs> Where you should be doing this? I said, I'm doing my own thing. So you got to follow yourself. That's a key thing. You follow your heart, you find your way. But as a man, the sense of independence and autonomy and our enemy there is when, you, when you're more on your female side is your negative emotions. Now, it doesn't mean you make yourself wrong for them. It means you learn how to process them. Because see, whenever you're analyzing something to make it go away, to shed more light on it, that's also masculine. But generally speaking, you want to have a sense of entrepreneurship, a sense of independence, a sense of I'm learning to do this, I'm going to do this, all that attitude. And then if things bother you, that's okay. Then what you do is you process it. So, you know, my books, How to Get What You Want, What Would You Have, also has all those processing techniques, which means, okay, I'm going to be the man and listen to the female inside of me which is often like a little child, you know, gets upset about stuff, is worried about stuff, afraid of stuff. Then what you do is you write out those feelings and you come and you, then you give that little part of you a message that it's okay, you're all right. You know, you treat yourself like a little child, like a father to a child. And there's technology there to do that. Then what you do is you go out and take risks. The whole thing, you know, you hear people say, you got to get out of your comfort zone. You got to get out of your comfort zone. That's particularly for guys. Not that women need to get out of their comfort zone from complaining, okay? <laughs> it's so easy for women to demand and complain and, and judge and talk bad about people and talk bad about, that's their comfort zone and they got to get out of that. It's not about doing more in the world for them until they get older and then they have to develop their male side. So there, nobody teaches that for women. I mean, my, my thing for women is, look, you're never going to be successful in relationships as long as you're complaining. You got to stop. You got to stop. And you have to find another way to create your estrogen because complaining does produce estrogen, but then it also inhibits estrogen from getting higher. Hmm. It's loving, feeling positive is what allows your estrogen to go higher for women. And for men, it's not indulging in your negative feelings. So I'm just thinking back to when I was learning this stuff and, uh, you know, things would upset me. The first thing when I would analyze, okay, what's going on inside of me? I'm a Buddha. Why do I have all this stuff going on? There's another part of me. There's a childlike part of me. This was all the time back in the 80s, loving your inner child, except then people became like children. <laughs> they, they used it to justify my inner child is upset with you instead of like my inner child's upset. I'm going to take care of that inner child. I'm not going to put it on somebody else. Yeah. I'm going to handle it myself because we do have these parts of us that feel we're not good enough. And when you feel you're not good enough, you have to explore the emotions of that without acting on them. If you explore and feel emotions without acting on them, I'm talking about negative emotions without acting on them. Then what you're doing is you're processing and you're actually increasing testosterone by holding back from acting on a negative emotion. And one negative emotion we have is fear. So when you are afraid to take risks because your mind says, I can do it. So it's not that much of a risk, you know, it's like, hey, this is what I plan to do. I can do this. And then you, you find you're not doing it, go deeper and you'll see, well, I'm afraid. Okay. What is my fear? Where does it come from? Listen to the fear, but act in spite of it. And, you know, I went through, oh, terrible things in my life. 
<laughs> but only made me stronger. You hear this all the time. If you, it's it's true. You know, for me, after I'd been a monk, I fell in love with this woman, Bonnie, who was my wife of 34 years. But she rejected me and wouldn't marry me. All right, I was devastated. Then I fell in love with another woman, who really wanted me and so forth. And after two years, she fell in love with another man. So my heart was broken. So that was devastating for me. A big heart person. My heart. Oh, I had so so much drama around it. Now. <laughs> You know, I wouldn't have so much because I healed that part of me. But think about it. Here I was having been a monk. Now I'm studying psychology to help my brother who was bipolar. I have a big following now because I'm creative. I'm loving. I'm supportive. People are drawn to me. And so I, within two years, I had a very successful relationship class called Making Love Work. And my girlfriend who became my wife, she was my assistant in the beginning. And then she became my wife. We're teaching the class together. So imagine this, my whole income's based on this. I got this relationship. I'm sharing people what I'm learning in my relationship. And then right there in my class on loving relationships, I've already married this woman. She's in love with some person in the audience and I find out I'm devastated. I'm not, if I continue to teach this, I'm a hypocrite. I can't do that. And if I don't teach this, then I won't have any money. You know, I'm still trying to make money here. So I was devastated on my male side that I couldn't make money. I felt inadequate and powerless and a hypocrite if I was to teach what I was teaching. And on my female side, I was rejected, destroyed. You know, some, she wants to be with some other guy and not me. So when I processed that, I mean, I was knocked down by that completely. Hmm. Took, I mean, a week, I didn't even sleep. Well, because I, I said, okay, if you want to be with him, we can try an open relationship. And then we try an open relationship. And then she said, I want to be with him. So that really <laughs> devastated me. So I, so I said, let's take seven days and make a decision. So anyway, I went off on my seven days, didn't sleep at all, and processed what came up as I'm writing out all the things I'm feeling in, in a structured way, which you learn about in my books. Then a memory came up of when I was a little kid and I was away from my mother for seven days. And I felt I would never see her again. I was wounded, you know, that's a trauma. And so that trauma there of feeling abandoned, feeling helpless, not being able to get what I needed. And uh, that was like frozen in time inside of me. So it wasn't until this disaster happened right now in present time that helped me to become aware that, oh, this is activating these feelings. This is where they come from. Because every talk I gave before then, I had huge anxiety. And uh, I used to have huge anxiety. My first talk I gave, I fainted. I had so much anxiety. Now I have none. none not just talking. Anytime in my life, I have no anxiety. And that's got healed through that terrible thing that happened. Rejection and feeling powerless. What am I going to do? Having the, And what I did do to make money, by the way, is I said, okay, I can't teach about relationships. I'll just teach about healing the heart. Because <laughs> that's what I had to do. And I... <laughs> You know, I had to be integrous to who I was. She continued teaching that class. We divorced. I gave her everything. And part of the divorce agreement was, was uh, I couldn't teach those ideas. I said, fine, I can't teach them anyway. But for the first uh, month before we had that agreement, I, I was scheduled to teach this class with her in seven cities. Imagine. And we've got 100 people for a weekend. They pay $300 for a weekend. John and Barbara are going to be there teaching Making Love Work. And I arrive, big following, <laughs> and I say, well, bad news is that my wife and I are getting a divorce. <laughs> She's not here. <laughs> yeah, think about the anxiety I had, terrified, but I took, I said, look, I've got a responsibility. Somebody's got to teach those courses, and i got to get the money from it to pay my bills, you know? So, so I went and I said, 
listen, here's the news. If you want to leave, full refund. If, if you want to stay, great. I think you'll get good benefit. The, the ideas are good, even though it fa I failed in my relationship. And, and I said, if you want to ask me any questions, I'm open to questions. I'm always this transparent person. Raise your hand. So some guy raised his hand and he said, well, if you're going through a divorce, I'm here to make my relationship better. How can I trust you? <laughs> and, you know, I put myself in that place. And it's amazing. Magic happens at those moments when you really need it. This just clear awareness came into me. And I said to him, couldn't have thought this one up. And I, I just said, uh, well, who told you about the seminar? And he said, well, my friend. And he pointed to somebody in the room, actually. And I said, well, what did they tell you? <laughs> and they said, oh, it was really helpful to the relationship. And I said, well, I can understand if you can't trust me, but you can trust the seminar or trust your friend. And if you want a refund, you got it. Anybody, we can close it now. Nobody left. Nobody asked any more questions. We had a great seminar. And I was terrified. I remember I felt like this little boy. I, I couldn't even walk on the stage without holding somebody's hand. So I understand vulnerability. Yeah. And I went through that. I did it again. It wasn't as scary because I knew I could say that phrase. And I was happy for people to leave. I didn't have no attachment to it. Nobody ever left. Everybody had a great seminar, a better seminar than ever before, because I was now a better person. I was more in touch with all of who I am. And I remember having gone through that, I thought to myself, First of all, after processing those feelings for about six months, nine months, all anxiety left my life. It's just amazing. It was like a miracle. But I could just process my feelings, but you have to take the risk. You, you, know, you have to learn how to process your feelings, but then you have to keep stepping out of your comfort zone. So you make what's called vows. You make commitments. You make promises. This is part of being a man is you promise to yourself, I'm going to do this. And actually, the only way I could start teaching my own seminars was I kept procrastinating, procrastinating, procrastinating. And so I said, if I don't tell people I'm going to do this, I won't do it. So I'd be so embarrassed if I didn't follow through. So I had to tell everybody I'm going to do this. Even to do this last 12-day fast, I had to tell all my following, I said, I'm going on a 40-day fast. <laughs> and, and it's, I told everybody, so I have to do it. I still have to do it. But now I have a, you know, the truth is on the 12th day, I became very, very dizzy so I figured, okay, I need to back off a little bit and then go back on it. So mm -hmm. you have to be practical with your promises and your commitments. But the fact that I told everybody, now I have to feel embarrassed that I didn't do it, then I have to do it. Anytime you set yourself up where you have to do something, testosterone goes up. Mm -hmm. Anytime you've got a way out, oh, I don't have to do that, then your testosterone goes down. So, it's, But you make a commitment, you make a promise when you're inspired, okay, you have to be inspired. Your heart has to be open. When you're feeling kind of inspired and confident, enthusiastic, you make a promise. Then by keeping the promise, it keeps you, it makes you go back to that moment where your heart was open, where you had that confidence. So that's the benefit of setting a goal or set, making a promise, I'm going to do this. Then life will always pull you out of balance. Life's always trying to tear you down. Entropy is there. It's going to pull you down. And so you have a choice. I can not do what I said I'm going to do, or I can remember my promise and keep it. And as soon as you keep it, what happens is you're back to that moment of inspiration where you said, I really want to do this. Yeah. And when I, when I think about how that worked with my celibacy, it was that my teacher at the time, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who founded the TM movement, still going around. It's a great technique. You know, I, I left after nine years, but it was very helpful to me. And I'd recommend it to anybody. Uh, but 
I saw in him what I wanted to be, a world teacher. I didn't know that at the time. I was just drawn to him. That's how I got to be his personal assistant. He couldn't send me away. <laughs> Kept coming back. I found ways to come back. And so finally he said, okay, you're my assistant. Don't go anymore. You can stay with me. So, but, and that's a whole big story of persistence, of following my heart. But I was so inspired by him. I said, okay, what's inside of him I want? And I read books. I saw what he said, what always when it comes to spiritual enlightenment, which is what I wanted at that time, spiritual enlightenment, celibacy was the way for males. Okay. It just, and, and I would say as in the, the secret and grow, uh, think and grow rich, all those guys, you know, they talk about sex sublimation and they also have a form of meditation that they would talk about, but they weren't that articulate about it. I remember one guy where he would meditate. He says, I just sit quietly and I hold a spoon. <laughs> and if I drop the spoon, then I wake up and pick it up and I continue sitting quietly. That means when he's starting to fall asleep, <laughs> he yeah. has to wake up. You know, so it keeps you awake. And I just sit and relax and, and basically don't think of anything. And if you don't, if you have a word that you're saying over and over, kind of like you're rolling the papers, you know, I had this paper route, always rolling the papers, rolling the papers, rolling the papers, persistence, repetition makes grooves in your brain grow. And they, they've proven this. This is brain plasticity. Uh, if, you, if you learn piano, for example, just repeating a sequ sequence over and over and over, they can measure in one day parts of your brain grow that weren't there before. Now, the truth is it won't continue growing. It's very dramatic when you learn something new. But once you're good at it, it doesn't continue growing. But the, the whole idea of meditation is you create a pathway in your brain where you get rid of depending on the outer world to feel good. And gradually it feels better and better and better because you're making testosterone because you're good at it. And so you spoke into the world, right? That you would become the number one best-selling author and then you became number one best-selling author for eight years. I mean, was that, was that part of the process? Okay. So a little facts here. So one is I remember my, my, when I finally got a big publisher to publish men from Mars, women from Venus, they said, how many books do you want to sell? And in uh, my mind, I thought, I thought 10 million. And the, but I didn't say it out loud. They would have thought I'm nuts. You don't need to create people thinking you're nuts. Yeah. So I said, well, I hope to be a best-selling author. But I said, 10 million came up in my head. And if you actually look at the hardback of Men Are From Mars, it's gone on to sell in paperback. But in hardback, it's 10 million books are sold in America. But then around the world, millions, millions more. And it wasn't eight years, it was like four and a half years, five and a half. We're not exactly sure because I lost the papers on it. It was the New York Times number one bestseller that whole time. And then of the decade of the 90s, if you add up all my books, it was more than any other book sold. And wow. so that's how it, and also USA Today said for that decade uh, or for that quarter century, they said it was one of the most 10 most influential books uh, ever written. Yeah. And, you know, it's pretty good. Now, what happened to me, and, and I'm okay with it, is Men for Bars came so big that the feminists became afraid of it. They just laughed at me before, you know, it was just because I, I had a Broadway show. It was the biggest theater on Broadway, Gershwin Theater. And sold out every night for a week. And I said, I can't do this. It's too much work, you know. <laughs> you were act you were in the show. I was the show. Oh uh, wow. I the it's actually the most lucrative show in history because <laughs> there wasn't a set, there weren't any anybody on stage, there wasn't any marketing, <laughs> just yeah. me. And people came out. Uh, <laughs> it was 
was fun. I wanted to do it. And it was, it was when the Gershwin theater had time off because uh, one of those big plays had their time off. So I took over the theater then and it, it, it was wonderful. You know, it, it was great message. It was funny. It was light. Nobody took it too seriously, but married couples were getting better and better. The book kept selling. And then around the year 2000, I was uh, exiled from national TV. Uh, they would no longer have me on the Today Show, although all the people, they love me. OK, it was like the feminists had started to started to have the what is it? We have now the cancel culture, right? I was canceled back then because I was talking about men and women are different. The mm. irony is I only do it in a way which is respectful of men and women. But if you're a woman and on your male side and I say women need to talk about their feelings to produce more estrogen to find happiness, those women don't know what I'm talking about. See, they feel like, who are you talking about? This is crazy. This is sexist. This is telling me they don't relate to my material. And, and some men don't relate to my material. Now I can take the results of that and help make a woman happy, help bring children into the world, help the world be happier. I can become more and more selfless, but you first have to be selfish. You got to take care of yourself. It's very, very important, but you do it in a non-indulgent way. You do it in a disciplined way that prepares you for something greater in the future. And that's what you have to think. I'm preparing. I mean, how many boring hours of meditation before I got to that first level, which is this peacefulness of I'm I found my, my resting place. And then came bliss. And oh, I was mentioning to you that one thing is that you need a more advanced technique to stay interested. So if you can feel the energy, now you're when you're meditating, you also feel the energy. Then once you feel the energy, you try this, it will dramatically increase your experience. Is do this. Just start letting your body move. You know, like when you're dancing, you know, you just let your body move while you're meditating and let the movement guide you in your meditation. And, and it's basically also, I kind of move my arms like this. Okay, move my arms like this. And it's almost embarrassing doing public because it kind of looks like you're <laughs> masturbating, but you're not. You see, you're, you kind of put your hands like this and it, it, what it does, it creates a cervical flex in your wow. spine that allows the energy to flow up. So you yeah. could be doing a great meditation, but if you're trying to sit still, you'll feel bored, you'll go, you'll go sleepy, you, just like this. So basically for me, I would spend 10 hours, you know, just kind of like, <laughs> you know, how these people when they're jogging, you know, they're in ecstasy, they're just going along, you know, they're producing endorphins. You don't have to wear out your body. You can just do this if you're in a meditative state. So just, you know, you sort of set it off with the intention to do it along with while you're doing your mantra, but then just start shaking and then you'll get into it and it starts feeling really good. And that can continue to keep you awake and drive the meditation. And then, then eventually I had to learn how to, uh, many years of that, I don't need to do that. Although it's fun to do that sometimes. If I feel a little tired in meditation, I'll just start moving. You see, you're, you're causing a flex in your spine and it's a cervical pump that goes up. 
And ironically, it's the same pump that happens in sex. That's why once you learn, as you get older, you learn how to have orgasms without ejaculating. It's that flex, sex becomes this divine experience where you're like a god and your partner's a goddess and you're experiencing a oneness. You know, if you go into the Hindu religions, at the advanced level, the teachers would have sex uh, because they'd already achieved their opening of their higher centers and now they could bring that energy down. So this was, they would, that's where Tantra came about. It was like the secret, the secret, the secret knowledge of, of the higher knowledge. But see, we're all ready for that now. We're all higher. That's what we have to get is that, but in your 20s, the time is, it's called the brahmachari stage, at least in that tradition. The brahmachari stage is where you don't indulge in ejaculation, but you're about building your strength, building your strength, postponing that until you've achieved your sense of self. And then you get to enjoy indulging in your female side. And then you learn how to balance those energies and then it's orgasmic sex and you never need to end it. So, you know, you can go on for hours if you want. Now I have to say, I'm not totally a master of it because if I do hours and hours, I get sore balls. So <laughs> theoretically, maybe you don't, I don't know. But you know, a good half an hour of doing it is spectacular when you're in ecstasy and you yeah. can do it twice a day. You can do it every day. Because what happens, there's no going down. Your testosterone never goes down because you don't ejaculate, but you're also activating your sexual energies. Hmm. But the first stage, unless you're meditating a lot or sublimating that energy, is masturbate only once a week. And that's a good transition. Then when you start having sex, so many guys today, not all, but so many guys today, when they do have sex, they're over in two minutes. Okay. They, they, it's called premature ejaculation. Tight ass. Tight How do you, you know that? That's tight ass. That's right. That, you your guy's last interview. Yeah, tight ass. Oh, yes, oh, I yeah. talked about the tight ass. Okay, you got to learn to move the thing. And one exercise you can do both for good meditation, but also for good sex is, did I talk about the brick technique? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so people the, need to know the brick. You put a brick between your legs and you just practice the pelvic movement as if you're having sex, but you're strengthening those muscles and keeping your anus relaxed. And it will relax. And then suddenly now when you're thrusting, you're not squeezing your anus so tight, but you're, you're going in with the muscles of your whole body. Your whole body is doing it. And then as you go out, you relax even more and you go back in. Then when you get, when you get in and out relaxed, then you can suck up and you can pull the energy up and that's an orgasm. But this takes, this takes a lot of, took me years and years to figure this one out. And it, it's a lot of discussion and understanding. The best thing, the king of the world, I had all my success and everything, just having sex once a week. Uh, first of all, I, my celibate years and then having sex in the beginning, it's so much fun. I'm having lots of it, but then starting to feel my energy going down. So then once I got married with Bonnie, we just had sex once a week. And that was challenging because everybody says, well, you're an expert on sex. How much sex do you have? That was always the question. How much sex do you have? As opposed to what's the quality of your sex? Is your sex mm -hmm. helping you to feel more love? That's quality the over quantity. It. Yeah, it's really quality over. And that sounds so, yeah, that's because you don't have quantity. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's I have quality. You know, if you have a delicious meal, you don't have to eat again afterwards. Okay, so basically, and, and now I know, it was sort of embarrassing for me because I'd say, how often do you have sex? And I didn't have the research backing it up. And I say, I have great sex, but generally once a week, if we're on a, you know, on a vacation or something, we'll indulge in a lot of sex and whatever. And then you got to recover from it. But 
generally speaking, once a week, I found to be really, really good. And my testosterone continued to rise as I got older. Other men were like, oh, no, I have sex twice a week. Oh, I have sex three times a week. Or, and then they stop having sex. So many married couples stop having sex because they didn't regulate their sexual energy. So this, this is the dynamic. The Japanese did the study. If you go six days without ejaculating on the seventh day, you get a 50% bump in your testosterone from baseline. And that makes sex ecstatic. That's mm. what brings you back again and again to feeling the love. Now, what's interesting for males, just for us to know, it's through sex that we're able to experience both our male and female side together, one of the most powerful ways. If you were doing compassionate service for people in need, you would also be experiencing uh, uh, your male side is selfless and you're helping those in need, which produces a lot of estrogen. You connect with these little children or people who are homeless or whatever. So monks often would you know, find their ecstasy if they didn't know how to do sexual ecstasy is by being totally selfless and giving to others. Uh, and so you're selfless, but those others are people who are in need because they're in need, you would feel their love and appreciation. So you're on your feeling side and your masculine side at the same time. That used to be the case for men because women used to need us. <laughs> See, if a, woman can't, if a woman can't make money and you're the only one who can make money, she, oh, I found a guy who got a job, he can make money. And even today, I have to say, all women, they want to feel, it's not so much the money part of it, it's the security. Women live in a world of greater fear than men do. And, and maybe it's thousands of years, but the reality is estrogen is emotion. So they have more emotion. And if they don't feel, if they don't have support, then their fears will increase. Then when their fears increase, then they have to go to their male side and say, well, I can't depend on anybody else. So I'll do it myself. And that then they're way on their testosterone side. And then your guy walking around and women kind of say, what do I need him for? What do I need him for? So what do they need us for now? That's where women desperately need a man to be on his male side and not get upset with her when she's upset, not to let her control you, but to be selfless and do the best you can to provide for her. And if she upsets you to not talk, to not complain, process it yourself, come back to reflecting on how you contributed to the problem after considering what she did wrong, that's okay to do. You're analyzing what just happened, but you don't go and tell her. See, if you don't go tell her, then you're not being a victim. Anything that smells a victim, you wanna run from if you're a man. It just, and if you're a woman, you need to go into your victim feelings, but never share them with the person you feel victimized by. <laughs> if your boyfriend's upsetting, you talk to a girlfriend. Don't go to him. You just knock his testosterone down. And so relationships today are so destructive because women are way more, when they do go to their female side after they have sex with you or whatever, they're going to be over in their female side for a while. But when they're over in their female side, they don't have any feminine skills along with it, which is how to ask for help, how to communicate to a man in a way where he's not going to feel blamed. They just feel their complaints and think that, well, that's how I feel. You should listen to me. But actually, that just shuts him down. And if she uses complaints to get what she wants, what's she doing? She's on her male side. She starts with her female side, which has negative emotions, feeling disappointed, feeling frustrated, feeling unhappy, feeling afraid. That's normal. Okay, those are just estrogen feelings when you don't know how to get what you want. Or you feel like it can't. Then to get what she wants, she goes over to her male side and complains. I'm going to use my negative emotions to change you. And there what happens is 
she's now stuck in negativity in order to get what she wants. And this is poor women. That's the only thing they know to do to get what they want is when they're unhappy, suppress it, go to your male side or let it come up a little bit and now go to your male side to try to change him rather than learning how to change themselves, which is by exploring feelings, talking to a girlfriend, talking to a coach, you know, doing these personal growth techniques to come back to feeling love. The woman's greatest lesson in life is how to be grateful, how to be appreciative, how to be accepting, how to trust, how to open up, not demand the world to change before you can feel happy. And for us, it's a matter of picking ourselves up every time we take a risk and we fail. Every time we make a mistake, we beat ourselves up to let it go. You know, next, I'll try again, try again. But when you fail, it will bring up those negative emotions inside from a child and realize they're just your childlike part of you. It's not you, you're beyond that, but you've got to bring the love of attention and understanding to that part of you. And as you develop that skill, then when women are upset, you can realize that it's just their inner child being upset too. And you can be a little patient with them. Yeah. I wanted to share one quote that I read from your book, Beyond Mars and Venus, which is the follow-up of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, which we highly recommend like between um, Ryan, Ryan and I, we want to push this book out to our communities because we feel that it's really important to get these tools, techniques that you're talking about. And what you, you were saying along the lines of, this was the quote that I really resonated with. Um, and it was freedom from the false idea that we can make our partners happy, takes a lot of the blaming and complaining out of a relationship and lets love grow. So oh, it's that's a great quote. <laughs> John Gray. John Gray. <laughs> you know, uh, we're having a conversation. I'll share with you where I came up with that idea. Okay. So it's really articulating something I was somewhat living, hmm. but I was in South Africa and trying to promote a seminar and they, they got me, they said, Oh, you can be on this guy's radio show, but you don't want to go on there. He's like a woman hater. He's a tough guy. He makes fun of people. And it said, you should go on that show. I said, Oh, I'd love to go on that show. I, I, no problem for me. I'm fearless, but particularly because it was a man. <laughs> If it was a woman, I don't know if I'd want to do it. I'd still do it, but I, I'd be very careful. But a man, I know the way men think. And so I knew right away, because of his reputation, his lousy experience with women. <laughs> yeah. Women are all complaining to him all the time. He's never good enough, whatever. So I said, yeah, the challenge in relationships is to realize our job is not to make each other happy. Our job is, that's not my job. If she's unhappy, it's not my job. My job is to make her happier. But she's got to be responsible for her happiness, and then I can take her over the top. And I knew he would feel relieved by that. And he went, who is this guy? That's the most brilliant thing I've ever read. It should be on our, it should be on our marriage certificate. My job is not to make you happy, it's to make you happier. Now what's left out in that is my job is also to help you find your happiness and not make it worse, okay? Because that's what he would do unknowingly, is you know, make a woman wrong for her feelings. If you can hear it without taking it personally, what a blessing you are. If you can't, it takes practice. It takes practice. And so you go, okay, I can hear only so much. Let me have a timeout. I'll think about what you said. You got to walk away. As soon as you start getting angry, you just walk away. You got, and I, I teach this in my men only classes. And some guys will say, she won't let me walk away. And I say, oh, okay, well, there's another technique. You can just say, excuse me, just for a moment, I need to go use the restroom. And he said to me, and he said to me, you don't get it. I go into pee and she follows me in. She's going to talk. <laughs> she really wants to talk. 
And I don't want to lay this just on women because there are times when women try to escape and guys said, no, we're going to talk about this. We're going to get through it. It's this female fix it. have to talk about things, fix it, solve it, achieve something. And we really need to cool down on this. And the heart it's hard to stop once it gets going. It's kind of like an avalanche. Yeah. You know, you got to catch it right in the beginning, which is kind of like the whole idea of controlling yourself in sex. Okay. Ejaculation, you're, the avalanche started about two minutes ago. <laughs> so you got to catch that avalanche and shift gears at that time. That's why in a lot of the uh, Tantra texts and the Taoist texts, they always talk about different positions. Because what happens, the guy's going along and he sees an ejaculation coming. Uh, that will stop everything, right? So he just basically says, he said, now we're going to change positions. So it's not like I can't handle it. No, it's like time to change positions, time to change positions. And the reality of this, and I want to, this is true. Uh, so many men who are premature ejaculators, it's not just about him. It's that sex is an exchange of energy. Uh, her energy goes to him, his energy goes to her and it goes around, it goes around, whether you can feel it or not, not important. You're giving yourself to her. That's why you feel spent afterwards and your energy drops unless she's in love with you and thinks you're the greatest. You know, your status of amazing guys changed my life. You're giving her your energy. She's giving that back to you, gives you more energy and you grow. That's called making love grow. Mm. And I kind of forgot my point there. I was going to tell you some secret, but it just went right out the door. Sorry. <laughs> We'll get it back. We'll get it back. It's it's in the it's in the field. We'll, it's, it's we'll, we'll field. draw it back it's, to us. It's, it's okay. I'll, here's what it was. Thank you. So it's a delicate thing to say, but if your energy is flowing into a woman and she can't open up and receive it, your energy backs up. It creates a tension, causing ejaculation. So I've been with a lot of women, and when women, in a sense, put me on a pedestal, I can go on and on and on, even without any practice of anything. But if a woman is stressed, can't do it. Hmm. See, even for me, if I was with a stressed woman, I would want to ejaculate within a few minutes. <laughs> she's not open to my energy. She's got to surrender. See, femininity is yielding, surrendering, enjoying, liking, loving. So it's not like she's just passive. Okay, do with me what you want. And she's not necessarily trying to turn you on. Okay. She is enjoying your attention and your infection and, your, and she's opening herself up. Many women don't even know what it's like to open themselves up. You know, so many women are telling me, oh, where are the emotionally available men? Uh, these women are not emotionally available themselves because if you're an emotionally available woman, which means you're able to share how you feel with somebody, a man will start becoming more feeling. You just have to say to him, look, I just need you to hear what I'm saying. And it's not about you and share emotions about other things other than him. And you'll be like a therapist. You can easily hear it. See, I learned this because I had 10 years of women opening up in front of me again and again and again without having to take it personally because they're complaining about their husbands and not me. If you don't feel attacked when a woman shares her emotions, you're, we are built in. We are the compassionate ones. We are the ones who give up our lives for our families and our wives and our country. We do that. That's noble men, not women. Women are selfish. Their bottom line, me, 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 me. And that's okay. We don't mind that as long as they appreciate us when we do things for them. See, that's our role. We are the selfless, strong, committed, all that good stuff Jordan Peterson talks about. That's masculinity. And femininity is we talked about sacrifice earlier. 
sacrifice for a man for a noble cause. Don't just sacrifice without a noble cause. You gotta have a you have to be inspired. I'm doing this for a reason. What's my reason for doing this? And you know, kind of like when I talk about celibacy or just masturbating once a week, not using porn, all of that. What's the reason? The reason is that all great men in the past have learned to sublimate that energy and you'll achieve greatness. It just doesn't come right away. It's postponed gratification. So you're looking at somebody who's achieved greatness in so many areas of my life. Why? Because I was able to postpone gratification. And even right now to be able to oh, have a, 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 you know, I've got abs, you know, I can do yoga. I can do all kinds of stuff that most guys my age can't do. Why? Because my belly got a little fat being a fat cat. So I go to fast for 12 days, you know, that takes huge discipline and wisdom. How do you do it? Yeah. Which by the way, if you want to fast, just don't watch TV. Watching TV actually for guys, uh, I'm not against it. Okay. It's a nice cave time activity as long as you don't do too much. But when you're passively sitting and you're imagining that you're doing something, but you're not doing anything, your, your testosterone will eventually go down. Your stress levels will go up and you'll get hungry. Yes. So passively watching TV will make me hungry and make me want to eat at night. And all I have to do is go into another room and read a book and I, I don't feel hungry. Well, so if anybody wants to lose weight and you're a guy, <laughs> just don't watch TV at night. Watch it during the day a little bit or whatever. But at night you need to settle down and there you are passive and yet doing something at the same time and you're not doing it because it only you only make testosterone if you're actually accomplishing and achieving or, and this is important, you, you accomplished and you achieved, you used your energy. Now, if you relax, you're rebuilding your energy but it, and you're rebuilding your testosterone through relaxation. But if you're just relaxing and you don't use up that energy, then sitting there doing nothing doesn't rebuild. So rebuilding means you have to first use it and then rebuild it. You can't just, and rebuilding is through downtime, relaxation, not having to be present, not having to do anything for anybody. It's your selfish time for you. You need to have that. And then you have your productive time. And in your 20s, your productive time is education, discipline, self personal growth, development, who am I, taking risks, discovering who you are, following your heart, and life appears. I didn't know I was going to be a relationship expert. I was a celibate monk. I was a spiritual guy, you know, and I was famous doing that stuff. And then my brother is bipolar. I can't, I can't be so happy in my brother's suffering. So meditation didn't save him. So it was just natural. Okay, I'm going to learn psychology. Maybe that can help, you know, and so it my whole life turned around. It just, it's amazing. Life will lead you in places if you follow your heart. And there's a lot of bumps along the road. But after you learn to bounce back from the bumps, then you, you gain this amazing perspective on life is that anything bad that ever happens to you always ends with something better. Yeah. Always ends in something better. But when you're young, you don't have that perspective. So it's a little harder. You think it's always going to be this way. I'll never succeed. Follow your heart. You have got a destiny that will unfold as long as you do what you feel is the good thing to do. I'm really thankful that you were able to blend both um, elements of beyond Mars and Venus today with men are from Mars, women are from Venus, because they are both important. Uh, everything from the cave time in your first book to Venus talks in your second. And, and one of the things I think about is like there's so much power and knowledge that it makes sense to me, John, that there are a lot of people who take these the wrong way and probably 
Uh, but when you kind of simplify and, and integrate a lot of the commonalities and exercises that you share, there's just so much you can offer to the world. Um, and even everything you shared today, uh, just makes a lot of sense. So I just wanted to say thanks. Oh, you're so welcome. It's such a pleasure to talk to you guys. I mean, I've said the stuff. I wish I had somebody tell me when I was younger. And so that I feel really satisfied in that. And, um, and I don't get that many people interviewing me in your age group. So I'm really happy to, to share this time with you. Look forward to doing it again. Yeah, of course, John. And, and also for me, like this has been, um, a whole journey learning about the masculine, learning about the feminine. I've seen how I can, you know, integrate these topics into my life and, and, it actually does bring more happiness. And that's why we want to encourage people to dive deeper into your work. And with that said, I wanted to just leave people off uh, with a couple of wrap, wrap up questions. Okay. Uh, and before that, uh, thank you for being so, so generous with your time. Before that, we wanted to know uh, where can people know more about you? Where can people find you? Are you doing any late? Uh, what are your latest projects that we can, that we can share? Oh, okay, uh, free class at marsvenus.com. Mainly what I'm doing rather than writing books now is doing preparing and developing online courses. And I've got one that's really great. It's free. It's at marsvenus.com. And it's, uh, it's actually four different courses, one for single guys, one for single girls, one for in relationship guys, one for in relationship women. So, you know, the messages are different depending upon where you are. There's also... I just want to mention that while I don't have this course available online, there's another book I've got. You talked about those two really good ones for relationship. This is fantastic. It's how to get what you want and want what you have. It's another book that I wrote and it's particularly everything in it is really very more relevant if you're single and you're in your twenties. Mm. It's about finding yourself, a lot of self-development techniques and so forth to where you it doesn't have the knowledge of hormones. So that's really important. You know, as a guy, you got to know that stuff. And one thing, and, and maybe in a rapid fire question, I give a short answer, but it's uh, what's the biggest mistake men make rapid fire answer is talk when you're angry. Never yeah. talk if you're angry, yeah, yeah, take yeah. time out, cool off, back off. And, and next one is make sure you're getting plenty of cave time. And that means not putting your attention on people you love and care about no nurturing activities. Okay, now what if you're with a woman and you want to take your cave time, she's going to make you feel guilty because she doesn't understand that's what you need to do for yourself. See that this is like, and we're, and again, you know, we're more sensitive than previous generations. So when a woman is going to feel hurt that we pull away, we're going to not pull away. And we have to be able to go, no, this is what I need. And, you know, inside yourself, you got to know she's got to grow up and not be so needy. So, when my wife, an example, when I first was learning this stuff, I'd been with my wife for a week and we were moving a relative to take care of a sick relative who was deaf and had Parkinson's and moving her from one town to our town. It was a big deal, right? You know, seven days to change her whole life. And we're exhausted and it's stressful and everything like that. And, you know, life's toils. At, at the end of it, we're kind of like, oh, we got her settled. And then, and then uh, I said to her, well, I'm going to go play basketball with my friends my buddies, right? Male activity. And she goes, basketball, but we haven't had any time together. 
<laughs> now, if I took it literally, we just spent seven days together. I need a break. But what she meant is we don't have any time to experience intimacy together. And I just basically said to her, because I understood this by that time, I said, listen, I want to have good time together with you. I want to be intimate with you as well. And I can't do that right now. I need some guy time. I need some cave time. And then I promise you tomorrow, I'll take you out to dinner and we'll have a special occasion and we can really be intimate, but I've got to recharge myself. And that was it. And she looked at me very disapprovingly. I mean, I had to have courage to do it. You know, she, I don't believe it. What are you talking about? You know, and, and I said, you'll see tomorrow. I didn't take it personally. You see, got to realize they don't understand us. I didn't take it personally. I just said, look, I get it. I get it. You'll see tomorrow. I'll take you to dinner. We'll have a special occasion. I'll be ready for it. And she said, I'll wait and see. Never the next day that she gave me any hint that she was anticipating that happening. She didn't want to remind me. She wasn't going to say anything. She wanted to see, let's see if he's really telling the truth. And I didn't take that personally either because see, women's job is to doubt. That's their thing. You know, if they get pregnant, it's nine months where they're dependent on you and then the rest of the life of that child. So they got a lot of reasons for us. We can go put it in anywhere. <laughs> what are the consequences? So they have a lot of concern about what I'm letting into my life and so forth. So doubting, doubting, testing, that's okay with them. Just not to take it so personally. But anyway, that example is setting a boundary, even if the person's going to be hurt by it, going to look at you with disapproval. You go, I get it. I know you, you, you want to have more quality time with me. And this is what I need. And once I get what I need, I'll show you how good I can be. Something like that but set your boundary. You've got to have that boundary. You can't let a woman's disapproval of you, her hurt feelings of you control you from doing what you need to do for yourself. Hmm. I thought that would be a, a bullet answer, but I needed an example. Yeah, amazing. And just to wrap up, one of the wrap up questions we have is in your life, what is it that allows you to tap in within, really go within? We talked about meditation, but really to go within and become a magnet towards what you were meant to do in this world. Uh, Ryan and I, we both have messages that we want to push out into the world. And I know a lot of people have things that they really believe in, they're really passionate in. And you are the perfect example of someone that took something that meant a lot to them and that you were passionate about, and you magnetically attracted all these things around you. And everywhere you go, you attract masses, millions of people that want to get to know about your message. So what advice would you give to someone? Well, the standard advice, and it's not just me that do, do what you love. And as a man, do what you love. That's more about serving others than serving yourself. And then take time to serve yourself. You know, today, you know, I had a good, good hour of sex. I had a good two hours of meditation. I'm fasting, and then I can't uh, do five hours of shows. Which, <laughs> if I didn't do five hours of shows, I wouldn't be the amazing guy that I am. I think I am. Is that I would be depressed. I have to have service, but I also have to have me time. I also have to have love time. And when I have sex, it's never just for the sexual pleasure. It's that I use sex in order to increase my ability to feel. And what I feel is my love for my partner. And there's nothing more precious to me than to be in a relationship where you actually made a decision. I'm committed to this person. I'm never going to hurt this person. Because see, a lot of guys, you know, you're having sex with somebody, you're not committed. A part of you knows deep inside that you're going to make her happy and then leave her and she's going to be hurt. 
but to be able to feel <laughs> there's no way I can hurt this person. And just like with my wife, I would never leave her. My partner I'm with now, I will never leave her. I'm in love with her, deeply in love with her. And I also know that if it doesn't work out, we can leave without hurting each other. That's another part of it. So you never know fully the future, but I commit myself to never hurting. I think deep inside of men, it's the fear of hurting others that holds us back and not the fear of hurting ourselves. And for women, what holds them back is their fear of being hurt. It's ours is the fear of not being the hero who saves the day. You remind me of Robert Greene, by the way, because there's so much power in uh, like Robert Greene's books and there's so much power in your books and it just needs to be channeled appropriately, uh, which is why there's so many misconceptions around the art that you put into the world. But uh, yeah, my last question was just, um, what's your Michael Jordan level talent? I love asking that question. Uh, if you were to like summarize it in like a short summary. Meditation. Mm. I can sit for hours without breathing. <laughs> I was a different kind of Wim Hof. Uh, I, I'm like a master of meditation. I, I've never seen anybody who can meditate like me. I've spent my whole life dedicated to it. Then the second level, which Michael Jordan is actually Michael Jordan having sex. <laughs> yes. A master of sex as well. <laughs> Except Michael had to have many partners. I can do it with one for a lifetime. And you have you have so many books. So, you know, my audience at Book Thinkers and, you know, Emilio's like there's so many books and we only touched on a few. So uh, I hope everyone goes and checks checks out your work. And thanks Thank again. You so much. Yeah, I guess another superpower I can have a few is uh, teaching. I love my work. Yeah. I love teaching. I just feel so grateful to it for it. So forth. Yeah. yeah a natural order. Thank you. It's amazing. Thank you so much, brother. Um, Hopefully we can link up soon. Oh, we should do this again. You should give me a bunch of questions and I'll answer them. That'll be fun. And <laughs> okay. I, I know, I know from what you're saying. Some people go, oh, I hate John Gray. Other people go, amazing. I love this. It makes sense to me. You yeah. can bring up both questions to me. It's okay. You know, yeah. to take oh. up with the people who don't understand it. I even heard you kind of say, and remember, he does say some really good things. You <laughs> 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 don't want to misinterpret it here. It's so easily, uh, oh my gosh, we're just so confused in relationships today. And you could take many of the things I said out of context and they would sound to some people as very, very sexist. Mm. But once you understand the paragraph, it all makes sense. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right, brother. Thank you so much. And we'll catch up soon. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, John. All right, everyone, that's a wrap. I just wanted to quickly express my deep gratitude to you for giving us your time, your attention, your focus, everything. All these things mean a lot to us because you are actually going to be incorporating this wisdom into your life if you got something from this. And just quickly, I wanted to mention also John Gray. What an amazing guest. And if you could feel the energy in the room, this wasn't my first encounter with John Gray in a podcast scenario. We had a conversation with him in 2020, a two hour and a half uh, full conversation and went very deep. And I'll actually pop that in the show notes so you guys could check that out if you want more from him. And I'm just really happy that you guys got the chance to listen. This work changed my life. It changed the way I approach relationships. And as for the future of the podcast, there's so many more conversations just like this that are going to 
expand your mind, expand your heart. So stay tuned. If you want to support the show, you can go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and leave a five-star review. Leave a little uh, comment, whatever you think about the podcast. We'd really, really highly appreciate it. And you can also share this with someone who may want to get the information in this show. All the love, everyone. We'll see you next week. New episodes every Tuesday. Mark that on your calendar. (laughs) Love you guys so much and peace.